I think one of the things that I'm very grateful to my elders and my, my teachers is being curious, inquisitive, learning. And in that learning, if there's something that you see an opening that here is something that one can can work on. So that curiosity is 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 there. If your intentions are good, God will keep on giving you new ideas and giving you new opportunities. Thanks for joining us for Building Pakistan, a conversation with Pakistan's beloved institution builders to explore how they've built and really continue to build this young country. I'm Benji Williams from Amal Academy, and in today's conversation, we have the real honor of meeting with Mr. Saeed Babrali, who the New York Times has called not just an institution builder, but an institution himself helping to build industry in Pakistan when the nation was just born by starting some of the country's first and most successful companies. Some of these institutions include the first and now largest packaging company, Packages Limited, one of the first milk processing companies, Milk Pack Limited, which later became Nestle Pakistan, which is the largest food processing company here. And of course, Lums University, which the New York Times has called the Harvard University of Pakistan. He's also profoundly matured Pakistan's business ecosystem by bringing in various multinationals through joint venture partnerships, including Tetra Pak Pakistan, Siemens Pakistan, Coca-Cola Pakistan, and Sanofi Aventis Pakistan. And in addition to all of this, his social work also includes setting up Ali Institute of Education, setting up Naqsh School of Arts, setting up Ali Institute of Technical Education, and setting up Saidanwala Schools. He's also one of our investors and advisors at Amul and supports various other education institutions like HSN College, Kanad College, and Lahore School of Economics. We really couldn't be more grateful for the unspeakable work he's done to build this country and its people, for his never-ending curiosity to learn from others and to believe in their journey, and for the example that he set for each of us on what it means to live a life of purpose. So... Should, should we get started? Okay. So I think the most obvious starting point is packages, where we're sitting today and where you've spent most of your working life. But I also think that the family business context is really helpful to maybe understand a little bit more. And so I want to rewind to 1947. Around that era, you were finishing your business degree in Michigan. The partition, of course, was happening. And you wrote in the book that the country had almost no industry, except for maybe three kind of modest, uh, small textile mills. And so your family was essentially helping create industry here in Pakistan. Um, and by early 1950s, you wrote that there were four ventures that you were involved in, the textile, insurance, the soap, or ghee, and the razor blades. And then there was a bunch of other projects and ventures that we won't even get into, like the, the Ford dealership. Um, you mentioned the textile mills that failed, the cotton industry, which you exited. And so I guess my question is, um, is there any memory that sticks out in your mind what you were learning at this age, what you were observing being a part of all that, this, all that was happening at this time? Yeah. You see, this was a time when um, Pakistan was struggling to... Uh, keep itself alive by exporting uh, whatever produce or whatever items were available for export and to, um, uh, to um, import things which we needed. As I said, there was hardly any industry at all. And this area of Pakistan, which was a part of India before 1947, August, uh, relied on everything that we used uh, coming from what is now India, what was then India in 1947. So, uh, and all of a sudden, you see, with the creation of the two countries, the trade between the two countries got disrupted. Uh, and therefore, uh, we had to 
uh, find alternate uh, markets for goods that were previously going to India uh, and also getting um, manufactured goods which were coming from India from other sources. So there was a kind of a uh, uh, sort of race to keep you know people satisfied but the population of Pakistan at that time was only what is West Pakistan was hardly 40 million hmm. so uh, and um, and the 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 quality the standard of living was fairly low so um, and and as I mentioned to you we uh, or as you've seen it already in in the book that uh, we had um, uh, we had uh, acquired a, a large cotton seed processing plant in Hyderabad, uh, and uh, we set up a new manufacturing razor blade plant with American uh, participation called the American with the American Safety Razor Company from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, this called Treat uh, Blade, uh, and it's still uh, alive and and. And so they were, um, and we were using packaging material for packing of soap coming from the oil mill for the razor blade packaging. And of course, um, we uh, had very good friends in the um, uh, in, in, in Lever Brothers because we were responsible for bringing Lever Brothers to Pakistan from India. Mm. Uh, and Pakistan Tobacco Company had been established. So they were using packaging material, and we were beating their their senior management. And they were all saying that packaging material was coming from abroad. So I and when you say we, because you were a fresh grad at this point. Yeah, but we meant was, my, my, what, my family. We yeah, were, yeah. my brothers were there. And what was your What was your involvement at this? At this, I was sort of the younger brother. Okay. You know, sort of the the um, what in golf they call the agewala, the person who does all the running around. Huh. Uh, and uh, we were a small organization at that time. Many of the people who worked for us in India had migrated with us. So mm. that was the nucleus of uh, our uh, mm. setup. And what were you learning at this time? I mean, it, it seems like so much was happening. Yeah, I was Every learning, day you must know, have been. I mean, for instance, uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, that there was hardly any textiles. So all the cloth that was being used in Pakistan mm. was coming from India. And the government approached us of the family because we had a certain presence. They knew that we had resources and that there was a certain reliability and there was certain confidence in, in our, uh, uh, the government had certain confidences. So they, they sent for us. They said, mm -hmm. all right, will you help us import cloth from India? Mm -hmm. This was the government of Punjab and the government of the Northwest Frontier Province. So we set up an office in Bombay to buy textiles uh, from uh, India for Punjab and this thing. And, and, and the, the government had nominated a person sitting in our office in Bombay who were doing all the, the buying. And we were just facilitating, we were providing the cash making, you know, transporting the material to Karachi from Bombay, hmm. then shipping it from Bombay to Punjab and to the frontier. It went, In Punjab, it was being distributed by the uh, Department of Supply and also by the Cooperative Society in Punjab. We were not in the retailing part of it. We were just handling textiles. So this was one of the things that we were working on a very, very low margin, a commission of 1%. Hmm. And eventually you exited the cotton industry because yeah, no, it that, was, that, that was another I, thing. I think you said it was speculative yeah, yeah, and but you hadn't no, developed. This, this, was, this was textiles, importing textiles oh, on behalf import. of government. Okay. That was on business. Okay, another okay. was, you see, if you recall, partition took place in August. Hmm. The cotton crop starts, you know, you're harvesting the cotton hmm. in September onwards. And the ginning factories, which 
processed the seed cotton coming from the field and taking the seed away from the cotton and then putting it in the form of a bale. Mm. That these ginning factories were owned by people who went who who fled to India. Mm. So these ginning factories were lying dormant. So the government said, take this ginning factory and you start buying seed cotton or cotton from the farmers. Mm. And then you process the cotton, you bale it cotton, take it, take it to Karachi and you sell it and they export it. Mm. So we, we were allotted about three or four tech, uh, cotton gin factories. And, and over the years, the next two or three years, we realized that there was a lot of speculation mm. in, in, in the cotton market. So we exited that business and we said we want to do something more constructive. This was, we had stepped into it in order to help the government and, and to the farmers. Hmm. But uh, in that process, well, we... What was that decision process like? I mean, what was the analysis, the pros and the cons? Was it straightforward? You had, the easy? government did, like, didn't give you an option. Leave. They said, you have to do it. Hmm. You know, I mean... No, I, mean I meant the, the decision to leave that, uh, the yeah, cotton they, they, industry. They, you see, by this time, there were other people who had mastered the trade well. Hmm. And we were among the also ran. Hmm. So we said, let's do something where there is a better opportunity, where we can do something more. Hmm. And so uh, this story you were telling before about selling textiles imported from Bombay, there's also a story of you going to Russia and, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. and you were selling cotton to Russia and then felt obligated uh, because they wanted to sell their goods here. So <laughs> you were bringing Russian textiles yeah, and yeah. I, I think like uh, nails. Yeah, yeah, nails, nails and, 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 and matches and... Uh, and, trying, and trying to sell these and I guess learning a lot about sales, yeah, yeah, marketing, yeah. but it, it sounds like it was not profitable. No. What was, what was that experience like well, trying to sell these textiles yeah, from Russia in, in Karachi? Yeah, the, the, yeah, there again, you know, this was, and we, we because we, we were not good traders, you know, that was mm -hmm. not a part of our learning. Mm -hmm. So we entered it because we were interested, we made money in selling cotton to Russia. And the Russians said, there has to be a quid pro quo, you have to buy from us. And if you, uh, and you see Eastern Europe, which was under Russia. So they then took the monopoly of anything that was produced in Eastern Europe. The Russians were exporting it and earning foreign exchange out of it. Hmm. So, I mean, when the Russians were selling us matches, it wasn't from Russia itself. It was from somewhere in Eastern Europe. But it was quite an interesting thing because uh, I was young and uh, Russia was a very hmm. intri intriguing and interesting country. Uh, you know, it was taboo during the time of the British. And uh, there was this Russian um, representative, Kanitsky. Hmm. And uh, I got to know him quite well. He was just one man was doing all the work for the Russians. He was selling cotton. He was uh, buying cotton and, and selling uh, all these Russian products. And I used to invite him to the house and he was a bachelor, I mean, all by himself. And then in 1952, the Russians um, wanted to reach out to, you know, the countries that had been liberated, mm. who were no longer under the colony. Independent. Now. They had become independent. Mm. They invited people who were doing business with Russia to come to Russia. They had an, what they called an economic conference. Hmm. And uh, they invited about a thousand people from all over the world. You went, And from Pakistan, I was among the 20 people who were invited from Pakistan. Huh. You must have been like 20... This was 1952, I was 26. At that time. Yeah, very interesting. Huh. And so you were this having... Was, this was Stalin's time. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. So you were having fun, you were learning a lot, you were having these incredible experiences. And I, uh, you had just built a house in Karachi. That, that was much later. I think you were like... 1950. 1950, right? 50-51. 51. Um, your engagement was there, you were meant to get married, I think, in a few years. 
you had some partying going on, which we won't get into. Sure. But I wanted to know, like, how did packages come about? Because all of these exciting things were happening and you were planning this visit to Finland you see, I went or to, to Europe. I used to go to Europe every summer hmm. to meet with the people who were buying cotton from us and also buying cotton oil cake that came from our oil mill in Hyderabad hmm. to keep in contact with the people who were buying from us. And when I was going to Sweden, I asked our office, is there any context that we have in Sweden? Yeah, and, the, and, and why did you ask that though? That's my question. Like what was on your mind? Were you no, no, I said, curious to no, expand? I, I'm going to Sweden. To do, I must do have other things. I, were you it, restless? Were you bored? Were you wanting to do more? No, what yeah, was yeah. Like, I, was always in, I was always keen to learn and to do something out of the ordinary. Hmm. And when I asked our people, I said, do we have any contacts in Sweden? And they said, yes, there is this company who has been writing to us to sell us packaging material hmm. for our um, razor blade plant and for the soap company. So you said, do we have any contacts in Sweden? You didn't care what industry or what yeah, business, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. curious, any contacts. Because I was going to Sweden anyhow to meet our, our buyer of oil cake in Malmo. But the reason I was going to Sweden was because I, I was going to Finland to buy light fittings for my house in Karachi. Mm. And my architect said, you should go to, to Finland. It is a country which has very innovative designs. Mm. So to, to get so, to Finland, you had to go through Sweden. So you were restless. You wanted to do more. You wanted to do something out of the ordinary. So you just literally, I, I've seen the letter, wrote uh, a letter on on this letterhead from I think the hotel. Yeah, Grand Hotel. Saying uh, I'll be there at nine a.m. on August twenty third, nineteen fifty four. Can we meet Monday morning? Yeah. You sent the letter on August seventeenth, and I guess they showed up yes, for the they meeting. Did. They did. Uh, what was your plan for that meeting? I mean, what were you no, planning I, I, to? No, I, I was going to, I, to I was going to, to tell him that. You know, they had made a, I was telling them, you, you're too expensive. We are buying packaging material from Germany. Hmm. Then I threw this question at him. Why don't you put up a plant in Pakistan? Hmm. Because we were looking for opportunities where to invest. So your plan was for that meeting to convince him to set up a plant? No, I Pakistan. never thought of it. It only came during our discussion. Oh, interesting. So you were just discussing and the idea came. Yeah. And then he said, uh, like, let's explore, let, come to the factory, I guess, and meet with... Yeah, yeah, the meet with my owners. Hmm. And so you met with the owners. I, I, they eventually came um, to Pakistan. Yeah, but the, 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 when I met him, yeah. it, this was a managing director. His name was Holder, Holder Crawford. His picture is there in the gallery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, outside our boardroom. Hmm. And he said, this is a good opportunity because we will have equipment available because a new generation of packaging material and machinery is coming in, which we want to buy. And this would be a good way of our replacing it. Hmm. And we will come with you as a partner. Part of our equipment will be our equity. And, and, were you reluctant? Because the textile mills, for example, you had secondhand machinery that wasn't good. And that was one of the reasons that I think the textile mills ended up failing. So here you are in, in Finland and these guys are saying, hey, take our secondhand machinery. And what? I told him, I told him my, pe my people will never agree to it. He said, why are you worried? I'm going to send people who will make it run. So that was the key, the secret. Having those guys also send people to make it run. Huh. So they sold you the machinery, or rather that was part of their investment um, in the joint venture. And you guys decided to set up here in Lahore, even though most industries were in Karachi, uh, which is fascinating. And you had basically no experience in printing or packaging. Correct. And you wrote... Uh, in the book that the government was really supportive and that the first important question was who was to manage and run the company. The first important question was, was who was to manage and run the company? And, and you found Mr. Urshid Hussain, yeah. 
who was the general manager, who became the general manager and the CEO. And I guess my question is, why was this the first question? Why did you want to find someone to run and manage the company as opposed to you being the, the sole person to do that? Obviously, you were still very involved. Uh, yeah, as a yeah, I, I needed but... somebody who was older than me, who had more maturity. Hmm. As far as printing knowledge is concerned, that was all coming from Sweden. How much older was he? I think he was. He was about three or four years older. Just a few years older, yeah, right? Yeah. So just a few years older, you you were 27, 26, 27 at the time. Yeah. It must have been early 30s. Yeah. So you felt like you needed that seniority. That was the main reason? Or also, was it just that the vision and the scope was so big? Yeah, but I needed somebody to, to, to be with me. My, 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 my brothers and my father said, we'll give you the money, but we can't help you in any other way because you've got to do it yourself with the Swedes. Hmm. So I told the Swedes that we'll do everything that you want us to do. We'll provide local knowledge, local inputs. Hmm. And Irshad, who was a, was, a, was a civil engineer, his you know, main responsibility was really to put up the building. Hmm. So he was working on more of the operation side, and, and to, to to do things which the Swedes were not able to do. And yet, you wrote that you living in Lahore was important for the smooth operations of the company. And so, how involved did you need to be in order for this to reach its potential? I mean, what was your typical day like? No, I was, you know, I was totally immersed in it. I was trying to run it from Karachi and Halen, who was the number one Swedish representative here, he said, you can't run the plant from Karachi. If you were really interested, come to Lahore. Mm. So we had built a house in Karachi and I was just sort of enjoying that thing. And my wife, I told my wife, I said, we have to go to Lahore. Mm. And so we moved to Lahore. Mm. And and what was, what were, what was the typical, Typical day like for you? I mean, you. I was here from eight to eight to whatever it took, Hmm. doing the construction and the running and everything else. Okay. Totally immersed. You wrote about like walking around in the factories, yeah, yeah, yeah. checking up on everyone on a daily basis. Not checking, but learning as to what's happening. And so, March 1956, the ground was broken. Yes. And 12 months later, the factory was in production. Yeah. You had 300 people initially. And fascinatingly, it was profitable in the first year. Eventually, sometime later, you set up a paper mill to supply your own paper. The company eventually went public in 1965. So that was nine years later. Um, And then eventually you were drafted to set up and manage the National Fertilizer Fertilizer Corporation. Uh, and your brother took over as MD. And then, uh, I'm, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but in 1977, you came back. No, and I came back, yeah, 77. But you decided to join in an advisory capacity as yeah. opposed to resume your responsibilities yeah. as, as managing director. Yeah. Why did you decide to join in an advisory capacity? Yeah. We, 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 and not rejoin as the Because MD? my brother was here. You see, what, what happened was that when I was nationalized Hmm. to go to his company, he was running the motor company, had been nationalized. So he was, Hmm. the company that he built. He was working on the distributing Ford uh, automobiles. Was taken away. And that was nationalized. So, and you know, I mean, culturally, you don't ask your brother to get out when, though he offered me and I said, no, you stay where you are. I'm going to do something else. Hmm. Having worked in the fertilizer corporation, uh, I was more interested in agriculture because fertilizer, you're dealing with farmers and this and that. Mm. And also at the back of my mind was this development of Tetra Pak, mm. which had taken place all during the year. You know, when packages were set up in 1956, simultaneously, Auckland Rousing, the parent company, had developed Tetra Pak as a new venture. Hmm. And they sent a man here for two years to try and promote Tetra Pak. 
This was before 1973. He spent two years here going from A to B to C and nobody was interested in you, of putting up a dairy plant. Basically, as you were saying, people were more interested in you know, cement, a cement factory, factory you know, something gla more glamorous. Yeah, glamorous and something which, you know, yeah, textile mill, sugar mill, this and that. Hmm. Milk, they thought, was a very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a job for the, for the lower class. Hmm. And so, um, now you had some capacity to work on I guess Milk Pack Limited was the name that and uh, in the, in the entity, and and why in fact was it a separate entity from packages? I mean, without getting into the the legal kind of yeah, implications, you, you, but just simply couldn't it have been a part of packages? No, it couldn't be. Um, packages put some money into it, uh -huh. but it couldn't be a part of packages because it was totally an, a, a new ball game altogether. Hmm. And uh, so some of the management came out of packages, hmm. but uh, it had to be a, a separate entity because we had to raise money separately. Uh, we got IFC, International Finance Corporation, from part of the World Bank to be a shareholder in that company. Hmm. So a few managers came out of packages, but at the same time, packages was also focused on its own expansion. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so I, I suppose you wanted to be careful not to um, yeah, not sidetrack. To, yeah, not to jeopardize this company as you know, and pack, hmm. and, and milk pack, um, uh, you know, was uh, another challenge. Hmm. There's a lot of learning there. I wanted to get into that because, um, again, when you set up packages, you said the first question was who would run it. Yeah. And who would manage it? Yeah. And, and I imagine you asked the same question yeah. for Milk Pack. Yes. And, and I think this time around it didn't turn out quite as well initially. Yeah, I, I, I hired two people who had worked with me in the Fertilizer Corporation. Mm. As a general manager yeah. um, and then as a plant manager. Yeah. And they came uh, out of the Fertilizer Corporation. And, and, how, uh, and how that did didn't go? work out. Mm. How did you know that it wasn't working out because i you know i had i had tetra pack as a partner hmm. i had I, ifc as a partner and i had also a danish organization called ifu which is equivalent of you know it was for foreign aid hmm. so they were partners and they were sending their technical people and they kept on telling me they said your management is hmm. is, is not up to it hmm. I, mean, I, I feel this is a challenge a lot of entrepreneurs face. They don't know, is it going to eventually work out or should I just, you know, reset? How, how did you make that decision? Like, okay, this is not going to work out and I need to ask these because guys. Because I leave. kept on pushing them and they were always coming up with excuses. Hmm. And then one day I decided the top management will go and we'll replace with the youngsters. Hmm. And... At that point, you stepped in as... As the managing director. As MD for, yeah. I think, three years. Yes. And um, what was that experience like? I mean, should it have been you in the first place, I guess, is my question. You know, if you rewound... No, because you see, the whole idea was that I, um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be the driver's seat. I, I wanted to delegate, and but not abdicate. Hmm. Delegate but not abdicate. And yet, uh, the delegation didn't work out. At least this time. Yeah, yeah. But I guess we can't extrapolate and say... Well, if it doesn't work out, I mean, then you, you bring in new, new people to try that out. Hmm. And so you were there for about three years as the MD, and eventually you handed it over to your nephew. Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious about what that succession planning was like because he was uh, in senior management for uh, since the beginning of milk pack and your mentor ruben rousing uh, has said you you know you should spend 50 percent of your time with your number two and so did you do that with yeah, yeah. your we, nephew yes and yes what everybody. was how much time did you have 
how much, what was the duration? Was it like, okay, I want you to take over in one year, so I'll spend the next one year No, no, but it, it was gradually done, and then because, you know, I, I, I had so many other irons in the fire. Hmm. Lums was in the, in, in, in the works at that time. Hmm. So this I had was, to... Uh, early 80s, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So you had in mind that he would be your successor. How did you prepare him and how did you know he was ready? Well, I mean, because he was, you know, things, there was very little that, you know, decision making that I did. I, it was always by consensus. Hmm. And he was in the team. There was the marketing manager, the finance manager, and the managing director just was working as a troika. It was not a one-man decision. Hmm. And so he was almost functioning as MD without the title, essentially. Yeah, I mean, there was a troika, there was the, the marketing manager was there, the finance manager, and he, I don't know what title he had at that time. Hmm. And uh, so he... We can be be member of the family, and so and and you know had a good educational background. So we thought that you know he should be given that opportunity. Hmm. And so a, a lot continued to happen. Nestle Pakistan eventually emerged from this. Packages expanded to parts of Africa, Sri Lanka, American Express. Hoist Pakistan, which became Sanofi, Aventis Pakistan, and Bayer, Crop Pakistan, Crop Science Pakistan. I mean, so many things, it's difficult to keep track. But Lums was also there. And I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about that because it's such a fascinating story and is um, such an inspiration to so many people. Um, but even before Lums, I guess, 1961, you talk about job seekers not being technically qualified and this Ali Technical Institute. And so this was, I guess, 25 years before LUMS. And you had the idea, or rather you recognized the problem. And by 1971, um, you had set up this Technical Institute. What, can you tell us just a little bit about the Technical Institute in the sense of what did it teach you? Was it, was it, uh, a foddering ground or preparation for lums? Did it help prepare you to eventually come to the idea of lums? What, what no, no. was this like? Well, let me go back. Sure. When packages was set up, this was among the very few industries in Lahore at that time. Yeah. So every morning when I would get up, there'd be a, a whole uh, queue of people outside my house hmm. with their parents, boys, young men with their parents wanting to get a job. And one of the reasons you had chosen Lahore is because of Punjab University and yeah, University but there were two, two, two or three technology. reasons. One was Punjab had a very large pool of young men and women coming out of colleges. Mm -hmm. It was a center of education. And this idea I got from Ruben Rousing. I said, why did you set up your factory in Lund? It, the original Auckland Rousing factory was in Malmo. Mm -hmm. Malmo is a, the, the big town in south of Sweden. And Lund is a university town about 20 miles away. Hmm. He said, because there was a lot of talent available. In, that was the knowledge pool. So you had these university grads. I said, I'm assuming university grads lining up, queuing up. No, no, no. For for job here, it was just a blue-collar worker. Okay, got it. So you're hiring uh, university grads more for management positions, but yeah, yeah. you then had folks lining up, queuing up for... Yeah, then I told my father, I said, you know, I, I, we can't provide everybody a job who comes for a job. Hmm. So why don't we set up a technical institute, give them a skill so that people will they'll automatically get a job anywhere else. Hmm. So he said, all right. I said, we have a lot of land around Walton Airport. The family had, you know, he was... Or from the 20 onwards, 1920 onwards, he had put all his surplus money into property. Hmm. He and his brother, here and in Ferozpur. That was the, you know, 50 miles down the road. So we had a lot of property around Walton Airport. I said, this property is being, you know, people, squatters will take it away. Why don't you huh. go to the government and ask them to consolidate all this property? 
and we will donate this to a foundation and the foundation will pet up a technical institute hmm. so we went to the government and the government was quite very they they were you know they said this is a wonderful idea hmm. you see normally when you ask government to consolidate they charge they take away 15% of land for development purposes i said you consolidate but don't take any land away hmm. because we are going to give it for put put up a foundation and foundation will put up a technical institute hmm. and would you believe it that within 2 months we got the whole section and everything was done hmm. i don't believe it today it takes It's amazing it will never done today maybe not even in 2 years no not in 20 years <laughs> so this was 1971 yeah and, and we um, started this in 1960 my father was alive at that time he okay. died in 61 okay And every year you you trained up around a hundred hundred people. Um, people. So for ten years we ran it, and the curriculum was so good <laughs> that the government of Punjab adopted our curriculum and replicated this by tech, setting up tackling institutes in every district. <laughs> this was uh, around um, 1989. Okay, so basically the technical institute was there. and then you're saying the government started adopting the curriculum and replicating it and so you decided we can close down this technical correct. institute because it essentially it's, had achieved the vision well, correct. that you had initially set yeah, up to, I said, to achieve because i wanted to use this area for setting up a technical for a teachers training institute hmm. the other rationale was that a technical institute in a year you put, produce 100 Hmm. technicians hmm. and they benefit a hundred families hmm. if you produce a hundred teachers trained teachers in the lifetime of a teacher how many thousands of kids would benefit from it hmm. interesting so both of these decisions were sort of made at the same time to close down the technical institution and at the same time to set up Uh, a teacher training institute uh, institution which is now to use the same facilities to use the same facilities and and and, and the resources of the of the foundation hmm. and a few years prior to that you had also started on the ground working on lumps no but lumps was already there exactly and so i wanted to ask what, what the vision of ali institute was to help improve the education system in Pakistan but the vision of lums initially was to help improve the business sector and the management specifically in the country um and you had that experience in Harvard I think which informed a lot of what is possible could you share a little bit about what what was the the vision or what were the early days in the sense of I know you were working with Mr Javed Ahmed and you met with him and you shared with him about your experience at Harvard and this is the vision this is what could happen or how we could improve the business sector what were those conversations like because i think he was in Islamabad working full time at IFC no no he was working uh, i met Javed Ahmed when i was in the uh, in the fertilizer corporation okay. he was in the planning commission at that time okay <laughs> meanwhile he'd got a job at IFC in washington Hmm. So I was toying with this idea of a business school hmm. to replicate Harvard. You were toying with it for some time, right? Yeah, yeah. When, when it had been when I was in the fertilizer corporation. Interesting. Seventy-four to seventy-seven. Yeah, I realized that that the you should read that paper I wrote when I was there for the government. Okay. So. so i realized that the success of the public sector was only because uh, could only be because of good managers hmm. and when, when i when you were at nfc and i have seen and i told the government i said you set up an institute to train managers because you see what the government had done when they, they had nationalized industry they picked up people from burma shell from ici hmm. picked them up from packages to run this industry i said what will happen now Ten years down the road, when we are gone, hmm. so you must have people. And meanwhile, you see, at, at at the Harvard Business School in the Advanced Management Program, I knew that you could train people hmm. 
for for uh, higher management uh, that you could develop these skills and mindsets within so someone. that was at the back of my mind so when i came back into the private sector i said for packages we had no problem because we were training people ourselves we could send them to sweden to our this thing but what about somebody in brandethrode who couldn't have that possibility of sending somebody hmm. abroad so i called up prasad daud and i said what do you think about it hmm. he said it's very good idea so i said will you join me i'm going to go forward with this so this is how the whole thing and big and also the public sector was fairly vibrant at that time hmm. and i knew most of the chairman of the i said would you contribute to this thing i went to the cement corporation i went to the automobile co- i went to the banking council and they all said we need managers we will back you up and they knew my hmm. my my credentials having worked with them as a colleague yeah so uh, can you talk a little bit about um were those companies your investors i wanted to add, talk a little bit about the fundraising strategy because um i know that you raised about 2.5 million pakistani rupees from, from a, about 60 individuals yeah and at the time that was around 180,000 each so in total uh, i i did the math earlier um in total that's about uh 150 million pakistan rupees which was about 10 million dollars um but when you asked javed hamid to do the feasibility study and said like what what do you need he said only about 20 million rupees um which is just you know a fraction maybe 10% of what you ultimately raised and so um i guess i had two questions w- one is like what was that fundraising strategy like i mean you went to 100 people 60 people said yes how did you convince such a huge number of people i mean 6 out of 10 because is a, incredible what was your what was the process like were you nervous were you no 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 i was not nervous rejected no, sometimes no, said, i'm i'm doing this for the for the business community hmm. and i was the first one to write the check hmm. i said i've done this you have more money in your if do you want to participate in it i mean 180000 in 1980s was a lot of it's still a lot of money for yeah, but, one individual yeah, to but, write and, a check and, and because i knew i i only went to people who i knew had that kind of money to 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 give hmm. and and i i also had um, you know got government to give uh, you know status that they anybody contributed to write it off as an expense And so um I mean how long did it take to raise that money from those 60 people a couple of years a couple of years and so you raised the first amount and got to that 20 million rupees that Javed Hamid said you need and you started I guess working on it before you had finished raising the fund I I just fi- I find that incredible I wish I could be in the room for some of those conversations because mm. um I read it you know it didn't take too much because a i had a certain amount of credibility hmm. they knew that this money was going to go to where it was meant to go hmm. yeah and you must have had a lot of uh convincing power i mean the new york times has said that fundamentally you're an incredible salesman and that was in 1977 so i'm sure that skill only developed with time i think it how important uh, do you think sales essentially you know, was to that process i think the basic process? thing is is people having faith in you it mm. was not me it was people that trusted me mm. trusted you first and foremost and secondly the idea uh, maybe we often think the idea is the most important but really they were probably and then of course you. the credibility that he will do what he hmm. says he will yeah so you had three houses on rent in liberty market initially the first batch was 36 students started in september of 1986 it was a two year mba program 
essentially modeled after the Harvard Business School. And it sounds like ja- Javed Hamid was kind of your guy, like... Yeah, yeah, he was, he, he did it. He, he, he ran the whole place. Can you talk about what was his role um, in... He know, was a manager, he concepts? was a dreamer, he was implementer. He had a full, total uh, authority and, and he did that job magnific- magnificently. Though he was only an MBA. Hmm. He didn't have um, the quote-unquote academic qualifications that you would think yeah, but, I mean, necessary yeah, to yeah, start that, a university. That, that was no impediment. Hmm. How was how that no impediment? How was he able to achieve he, so he had, much? He had total backing. Hmm. He had all the resources that were necessary. And you trusted him. And you trusted him and he and delivered. And he knew that. And he delivered. Hmm. And how did you find the faculty? Because that well, is this one, yeah, of, I mean, one of the we, most we important went, parts we, of the institution. We, we, by, with the managing committee, you know, Razak, myself, Mansoor uh, and uh, just three or four of us went on a tour of America. And we went to places where we had heard or knew of Pakistanis who had, were, you know, either in the either they were teaching at a lower place or uh, about to qualify. Hmm. And so we said, here is an opportunity. Come and share this journey with us. Hmm. And four of them volunteered to come. Hmm. And I wanted to ask about this meeting that you had with uh, General Zia al-Haq for the charter, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're setting up a business school. You have to be able to award degrees. And you met with him at the governor house. What was that meeting like? I mean, what was your pitch to him? What was the feedback? You see, Zia al-Haq... Um uh, soon after he took over, he heard about me because he had a, a coterie of advisors, and one of his advisors, you know, whispered my name into him. You know, there's a young man. You perhaps you can use him. So he invited me to Islamabad. And the first job that he offered me, this was in the first 90 days of his of his taking over. You know, they said that he'll be there only for 90 days. Hmm. He called me and he said, um, why don't you become my Minister of Industries? And I said, you're only here for 90 days. What will a Minister for Industries do for 90 days? I said, this is a no-go. Hmm. So, uh, I said, I can't see beyond 90 days. When you are gone, I don't know what will happen. I, I don't know. And um, so, he, I took leave, I mm. said. Then he sent for me again a few months later. He said, you know, I know that your kids are in America. Heather and Hena were at University of Michigan. He said, you travel to America quite regularly. Why don't you take over PIA, because, you know, you travel abroad and... Uh, and I said, no, I, I, I have no interest in, in an airline, I can't manage it. So he, he let me off. Then the third time he sent for me and he said, I want you to go to America as the ambassador. Hmm. And this was the time when I had just gone to Washington to get the milk pack um, project approved by the IFC. Mm. I told him, I said, I've just got this project approved. And if I, and this is a... This is late 70s, I guess. And I said, this is going to be a game changer in the milk industry of Pakistan. Mm. I said, you can find anybody to go as an ambassador. But if I give up this project, this whole development will fail. Mm. And I must say, he didn't hold it against me. So... You know, I thanked him, apologized to him. 
And then I wrote to him that I want to set up a university. I want to come and see you. Hmm. And uh, he did said, you say set up a university or set up a business school? Because initially, well, a business school, business school. I think it was yeah, just a business, business school, school yeah. right? And he said, I'm coming to Lahore. Why don't you come to the government house and see me? Hmm. So I went there. And Javed Hamid had drafted that letter that we want, uh, we want um, a charter hmm. so that we can award our own degree. We want... Um, uh, uh, this ability to uh, anybody who donates tax concession, anybody who donates money to us hmm. can write it off as an expense and that the president of Pakistan would be the chancellor. Hmm. He said, money? I said, no. Land? No. And he said, I'll do that. Hmm. And he did it. Gave you the charter? Yeah, and but I tell you, the, the, a very important role was played by the Minister of Education. He said, I've just, we've just given a charter to the Aha Khan University. Hmm. I'll use that as a format and you should, you should set up a university beyond a business school. I must say it was his idea. Hmm. And I can't thank him enough for that. So you guys had the idea of a business school, but he was encouraging you to go beyond that, beyond that, to set up a university. And did you immediately adopt that idea? Yeah, I straight mean, away. I was sitting across the table with him in Islamabad hmm. when he was going through the charter and, you know, preparing the draft for our charter. And I guess the question, I mean, it sounds obvious in hindsight, but why hadn't you thought of a university in the first place? Why just a business school? Why didn't you want to do a university but from we, the we beginning? we didn't have that vision. Hmm. It was start with this problem and figure out how to do more. And quickly the more came on your lap. So you set up the um, MBA program initially and... That's all. And that was it. And then... Uh, Around 1994, you decide, let's set up an undergrad program. And you know what happened was that, you know, the surplus money that we had, mm. we bought land where Lamza is today. Mm. And I've also, you know, this time, the Russians invaded Afghanistan. Mm. The American government declared that they'll give 3.2 billion rupees to Pakistan. So I met the American ambassador and I said, is education a part of this program? And he said, why not? Then I went to our government. I said, will you back me up to get money from the Americans? They said, yes, only on one condition, that for every dollar that you want from the Americans, you will raise a dollar yourself. Hmm. So I went back to the Americans. I said, the government are willing to support this. And then he said, how much money do you want? And I, I'm just saying, I mean, verbatim, I asked the ambassador, I said, does a figure of $10 million frighten you? He said, not really. I said, that's what I want. <laughs> does $10 million frighten you? <laughs> not really. And with that money, we went to town to build up the campus, hmm. the main block. And when we built the block, it was much beyond what we needed. And then the idea came, let's start an undergraduate program, because meanwhile, the quality of our graduates was so good hmm. that there was, this was a hum in town that, why don't you start an undergraduate program, because we can't send our daughters abroad. Hmm. And the quality of education at other universities is very poor. So this is how we introduced the undergraduate program. Hmm. That's fascinating. And you know, I, 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 I'm a great believer that if your intentions are good, hmm. God will keep on giving you new ideas and giving you new opportunities. Hmm. And this is what happened with the undergrad program.
and then the you know school of social sciences that kept on increasing and then school the of course, school of science and engineering hmm. there's a story by itself and all of these you feel are a reflection of that idea that your intentions were good and so then god provides you the opportunity hmm. the facility hmm. and and yet it seems as well that there was a lot of hard work involved sure. and so it was also the intentions were good and the effort was you have to keep on consistent you have to work towards it and and then the rewards god was rewarding that effort um finally i i wanted to ask about this idea of um the scale of lums the scale of packages the scale of 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 all the different uh ventures that you've been involved with um and also some of the more intimate ventures like ali institute for example or the naqsh school of arts or your work um in the sidenwala kasur district the schools that you have there i mean there's this idea that small is beautiful but scale is critical and so i wanted to get your thoughts because i think as entrepreneurs we often feel we need to scale we need to grow we need to make this huge and enormous and lums is an incredible example because it's considered the harvard of pakistan according to the new york times and yet the number of graduates that have come out of lums is still quite small relatively speaking compared to the population of the country 200 million people um and so how do you think about scale versus building something that's beautiful something that's really high quality something like but you like see Naksh what has happened Ali since lums was set up hmm. you know there the over 100 business schools in lahore alone hmm. which is almost so, the same phenomenon you saw with the technical institute right yeah yeah replicators yeah trying to do the same thing i mean you and, see, you saw that iba in karachi in in sakhar hmm. they probably replicated iba in in karachi exactly but you know we lums has played a very important role in the development of iba sakhar hmm. sahur and others have been going there very regularly and so it is part of the vision or the approach the strategy is is that you know whatever we do uh, people should be able to replicate it hmm. i mean when we started packages 1956 we were the first packaging company in the country hmm. today there are over 100 packaging companies in the country hmm. and the first 20 were started by employees coming out of packages and how do you feel about naqsh uh, school of arts or well again again they, that uh, i think is is serving a purpose because my you know idea and my kind of uh, fear was that calligraphy was disappearing because you know the computer and the ballpoint pen were yeah. two big enemies of good handwriting so we have been able to at least train a few hundred people who can write well hmm. and similarly miniature art had more or less disappeared and we today there are at least 200 men and women who are earning their their life by making miniature pictures hmm. so the whole idea was to to make sure that it doesn't disappear as a skill even if you're not reaching the hundreds of millions even the hundreds matters for something yeah yeah very important because it's it's, it's an art which uh, which we inherited you know from our ancestors hmm. so we've kept it alive and i wanted to ask about your passion because you know you've been involved in so many things and entrepreneurship is hard and often entrepreneurs risk burning out 
And there's some advice that people say, oh, you have to be passionate about something. You have to do things that you're passionate about. But what I've seen in your career is that you are involved in things that you have no passion or experience in. For example, packaging. Um, you got involved in that and that's been part of your life work. And, and so I'm curious, like, what do you feel the role passion has been in moving forward or continuing on in that journey? How have you continued to have that energy, even in something that you had perhaps no experience or previous passion in before you got into it? I think one of the things that I'm very grateful to my elders and my, my teachers is being curious, inquisitive, learning. And in that learning, if there's something that you see an opening, that here is something that one can can work on. Mm-hmm. So th- that curiosity is 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 there. Mm-hmm. So for you, it's almost the passion is for learning itself, a love of learning, curiosity, and having experiences that feed that curiosity. Curious, can I build a packaging company? Curious, can I build a, a business school, a university? Just trying to explore that curiosity, I suppose, is what gets you up in the morning early and gives you the energy that you're sitting in these meetings. I mean, is, is, is that what you feel feeds you day in and day out? Yeah, and I, I, I find that it's very rewarding. So these were things that, you know, if, so I asked this, this gentleman from Tanzania, you know, we, I'm just telling you that we've always been thinking outside the box. Hmm. Being in Lahore at that time, we were the only industry. So any delegation that came to Lahore, our doors were open. You, you come over here, we'll show you how paper mill is run, how this industry is run. And we give them a lunch. And this th- practice is continuing till today for the last 50 years. You know, the people from the Civil Services Academy, from the Army Corps of Engineers, from the Air Force, from this thing. So this has a long term. So, I mean, if we go to any government office, invariably that fellow has been here as a trainee Hmm. in the last 40 years. You don't have to introduce the company. Baba Sahib, um, it's incredible the curiosity you have. My mentor Jacqueline and your dear friend always remarks about your childlike curiosity and the hunger for learning. And your book is, in fact, titled Learning from Others. And there's so much learning that I've gotten from you and that um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of others have gotten I guess one last question to ask is any specific learning that you want to make sure that the next generation of entrepreneurs sort of holds delicately as they move throughout their journey? I think the most important thing in entrepreneurship is that you've got to think beyond yourself, Hmm. how it will benefit others. If you're looking to, to uh, for a personal gain, you're not going to get any far. Hmm. How it will benefit the community, the people, the user. Then it will automatically take off. And you'll, you'll, be, you'll be paid for, you'll be compensated, you'll be rewarded. But you don't go after the reward as the first as the first uh, objective. The reward is in the success of the idea. You've said in the New York Times that you can't build a country if you're not thinking beyond your own lifetime. And Ruben Rousey, your mentor, said that it takes 70 years for oak trees to mature. And 70. 70. And that uh, maybe one day the 
his grandchildren would thank him for that, but he would never get to experience that oak tree. And I wanted to just thank you on behalf of everyone for all the oak trees that you've planted. No, 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 not enough, not enough. Yeah. I have to do more.